Mayo, you finally did the thing. You are no longer a cartoon. What made you finally change your mind? I don't know. I've been thinking about it for a bit. That picture has been pretty old. I'd already done the new picture if people were eagle-eyed enough to see it on the uh, Apple Podcast profile page right at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's me and you. We got our photos there now. And I was like, then you mentioned it on the show. Was it last episode (laughs) or the episode before? I was like, well, maybe in the new year I'll do it. So I thought, well, it's the new year. Might as well swap the picture out. And what we're referring to is Mayo's new new profile picture on all the various social networks. The brand consistency is what I like to see. <laughs> there was the uh, there was the thought of just getting another cartoon made. Because, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, that one's from like 2015, so it's pretty old at this point. But because it was cartoony, you didn't really notice like... Like, like if you saw the source picture of that, it uh, looked quite young. But... Uh, because it was cartooned, it kind of like worked out. I kind of liked it. Like it was, it was at least different. It was very, very identifying. People knew it was you. Yeah, and was... like when you when it's really small, there's like a big green splodge or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's quite, it's quite iconic to it, which is quite handy. But so I did think for a minute. Wait, maybe, maybe I'll just get another black and white cartoon done. I only use some like app thing, and then I just change the background because <laughs> uh, it was like the whole thing was black and white, and then I put the green on just to like make it stand out. I had no idea why. I, I can't remember why I picked green. I hate that color, but uh, it just kind of stuck. So, uh, but yeah, so I just let's roll with an actual photo that was already on the podcast page. We'll just do it everywhere for now, and then I guess this will last another five years till I get bored. The other thing I will say is threads. Everyone's profile picture and threads are all like their actual photo because they'll come from Instagram, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Twitter was a bit more, a few more. I mean, it, it kind of faded away. But like, especially when I did it, like uh, there was a fair few more people on there with like actual like cartoons or like other icons and stuff. Whereas you look at like threads and everyone just has their profile picture photos, like actual photos. So I'm moving with the times, I guess, is one way to put it. But I just noticed one gap in your new in your new branding. Mindfightmap.com. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't done the, I haven't done those yet. I'll sort them out. I don't even know how you change your profile. That picture is part on. of the reason I haven't done it yet. I'm sure we can figure it out. Yeah, I it needs, it needs it to happen. Mayo, I went on a what 18 hour road trip for the Christmas season, and I have some reports for you. The chance road trip recap, as it were. Indeed, we drove me and my wife Emily. We drove from Waco, Texas, back home to Indiana, which is basically Louisville, Kentucky, technically. So that's about a thousand miles both ways. And we took our Mustang Mach-E electric car. And the biggest thing I want to mention is Apple Maps EV routing is so good. So this is the Apple Maps feature where you just plug in. Well, first you link your car to Apple Maps with CarPlay, plug in your destination and it routes you there and adds in charging stops and charging times and all of that information. The kicker is it's only available on the Mach-E, the Ford F-150 Lightning, and the Porsche Taycan, I think. But if you have one of those cars, it is such a great feature. I used it primarily, and then I also used an app called A Better Route Planner, which is like a third-party navigation for EV apps that actually got bought by Rivian a few months ago, but they're still into, they're still available for anybody to use. And they actually have a CarPlay app, too. But I kind of used a combination of data from both of those to... I hadn't used Apple Maps EV routing enough to know how reliable it was going to be. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think going forward, I now trust Apple Maps EV routing enough to just use it. You got the confidence in it. Yeah. Because it it will do like the stuff where if if it it knows... Because it basically communicates with your car to know your battery percentage, right? And like how many miles you've got. So it will 
plop in the route the where you need to stop to recharge so it's not just where it just shows you where the 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 charging points are along your stop and then right exactly it just picks one yeah. like halfway it like coordinates with the car to know like and i believe on like the the little points it would like tell you estimated percentages right and like tell you how much battery you're, you're going to have when you reach here and there and stuff exactly like if so say we left waco with 100 percent battery and our first stop was 45 minutes past dallas or something it would tell it told us you're going to arrive at your first charging stop with 22 percent battery charge and then it updates in real time like as you're driving so if you're driving faster and your percentage is going down quicker than expected or if you get caught in some wind or some rain the arrival percentage updates dynamically as you drive. It seemed actually pretty conservative in terms of your arrival percentage. So it would say like we'd arrive somewhere with 20% estimated and then we'd actually get there with like 25% estimated, which that's certainly the better outcome than arriving with less charge than you anticipated, which seemed to be what happened whenever we used our Tesla for this road trip. One weird thing, though, is on the Mac, there's an option in Apple Maps to let you assume 100% charge, which is actually really useful if you're just, like, game planning your route. So, like, the night before we left, I was just checking some charging stops, doing some research, and on the iPhone in Apple Maps, it'll only let you plan with what battery percentage your car is currently at. But I knew that overnight, the car would charge and we'd leave with 100%, if that makes sense. Wait, so you're telling me the Mac has a feature the phone doesn't indeed for apple maps yes unless i'm completely missing are you sure about that that sounds wrong i don't even care what it is the max more ahead of the iphone i could not find it for the life of me i hope so if somebody finds it please tell me because it was actually really frustrating it might be like on the Mac, there's just a checkbox on the iPhone. You have to like long press on this random icon and it <laughs> reveals some the submenu. Mac, <laughs> the Mac is just a checkbox and it says yeah. assume 100% charge. Because yeah, I mean, the need- Mac, the Mac um, app is um, UI kit, right? So like the the interface at, with, it should be the same as the iPad, which is then shared with the phone. So I'd be really surprised if that, I bet it's somewhere on the phone app, just like in a menu you'd never expect. Just like exposed in a really weird position. Well, they should make it easier to find because I yes. could not find it. <laughs> and I, that, I dug that, that for it. Fair. I dug for it. But the something else too that it does on both platforms, I think, is you can choose specific charging networks. So I think in total it has data from like eight or nine charging networks. The most reliable in the world of non-Tesla chargers is Electrify America. So I opted to only use Electrify America chargers for the most part. So I was able to do this in Apple Maps. iOS 17 added something called real-time charger availability. So it would show you like how many actual charging stalls were available at each stop. Oh, that's cool. Well, sort of. Because as far as I could tell, (laughs) like this isn't, like you can't find this information in CarPlay. It just doesn't show up. Oh. And you know, if you have Apple Maps going on CarPlay, the Apple Maps app on your phone is just like the list of directions Mm-hmm. So I couldn't figure out how to view charging stall information at all when using CarPlay. See, unlike the Mac thing, this I can understand because it's, you know, CarPlay yeah. lags behind. Uh, but yeah, like they should add that. I guess if they only just added it in 17, then it, it might not have got around to CarPlay yet. But that'll come um, at some point, right? You'd hope. Because the real-time, the Apple Maps EV routing is like a car-specific feature, right? So it only works on a few cars, and those mm-hmm. cars all have CarPlay, 
why would you not add the real-time charge? That feels like step one, adding the real-time charging information to CarPlay. <laughs> a very odd omission. Unless, again, unless I'm missing, missing it, which is totally possible. Like, the amount of infrastructure... I, I know we just quibbled about some bits there, but, like, the fact that this feature exists in maps at all for three cars or whatever else is, like... It's such a good sign of just, like, how much investment they put into the Maps app, you know? Like... Uh, yeah. The Maps app is incredibly complicated, incredibly detailed. They have incredible customization and investment for, like, every geography in the planet, you know, or at least many, you know, Europe, UK, America. Um, I, I can't speak to how well it works in, like, you know, further afield, like Turkey and India and stuff, but they at least try. And the amount of... Even if you just look at US and, and Europe, like... They have come such a long way from their original launch like a decade ago. When they said they were going to, you know, double down and work on maps, they they really did. It wasn't just, you know, words, empty words. They really did believe in it. It's it's very, very good now. I love Apple Maps UI. The data's pretty good. It's, you know, they I, I in the UK recently, at least where around I am, they they did the thing where, you know, the little um, trees pop up on the, on the yep. 3D map. Uh-huh. So I've got trees now all around me. The road signs show up where they didn't before on the you know like where it has the markings like stop sign mm-hmm. you know like the, the the white lettering on the on the on the actual roads like it's so good uh, they don't make any money out of it like it's yeah. easy when they're big they must spend so much money on Apple Maps and there's no monetization there. Well, remember uh, Bloomberg reported that they're going to put ads in Apple Maps at some point, and they haven't yeah, done and that he yet. Said, and Goman said that was happening last year, right? Yeah, and it didn't. It came and went. You can still imagine it happening because they, you know, uh, oh, yeah. you search in Apple Maps, there's an easy place for sponsored results. And if my memory serves me correctly, the latter years of the Google Map, of the Maps app being powered by Google, they did actually have Google ad placements in there. For, oh, really? Yeah, Ugh. for like sponsored uh, POI results and stuff in some places. Oh. It was nowhere near as um, pervasive as what you'd get in like Google Maps today, right? Where they have like ads on every query, but they would show up very occasionally. Um, so I can see that coming back to Apple Maps eventually, and as long as it's not too obtrusive, it's it's all right. But yeah, at least right now they they spend a lot of money on Apple Maps, and they get very little from it in direct uh, returns. I was driving somewhere in between Arkansas and Tennessee, which is a whole lot of nothing if you've ever made that drive. But there were four different like speed checks where there were police police like hidden looking for speeders, and every time Apple Maps told me speed check reported ahead which i thought i remember the days of like to get that type of information you pretty much had to use Waze, just because that's where all the crowdsourced data was but now it's integrated right into apple maps and i was driving through memphis and this was new to me memphis has like speed check cameras which i've never seen anywhere else and apple maps will tell you speed check cameras reported ahead What's a speed check camera versus a speed camera? I think you've it's never just seen like, a speed camera before. No, I know they're common over there, but they're not as common, at least in a lot of places here. Oh, really? Okay, well, in Britain, you 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 you, you can go a mile and have like four speed cameras if you're not careful. I know that from playing Euro Truck Simulator because that's how I always <laughs> get tickets. Because I'm an American who doesn't acknowledge that speed cameras exist, but. So, yeah, but apparently CarPlay has So before has now, it. you've only seen like speed... When you say speed checks, you mean like police at the side of the road or whatever. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, That's see. what a speed check has always been in my, uh, in, okay. in my mind. 
No, over here it's like ninety five percent just cameras. So they and they show up on the map and they're labelled. And if you're yeah. going faster than the speed limit, they show up in red and they like tell you. And if they if you're below the ah. speed limit, they just they just you just glide by. And I, I think it says speed camera ahead, but it doesn't like flash up and light up. Um. So yeah, Apple Maps handles it pretty well. Um. What else from my roads? Oh, the CarPlay GPS bug that we talked about a couple months ago. I'm sad to report that it's still there. This is where your location just kind of freaks out and CarPlay slash Apple Maps has no idea where you are and that completely messes up your navigation. It happened less than I expected, but still just often enough to be infuriating. And when we talked about this and then I wrote about it on the site, we got so much feedback from people saying they were also experiencing the same thing. And as far as I can tell, Apple has not acknowledged it or made any changes to fix it. Maybe they're working on it behind the scenes, but still there, at least for me. CarPlay, the new Apple Music SharePlay feature, is very cool. So this is the thing where other people can join your Apple Music, basically, SharePlay session and add songs to the queue to be played through CarPlay. Emily and I tested this, and it worked pretty much flawlessly. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for just two people because she could have just grabbed my phone and added the songs to the queue. But if you have more than one person, more than two people in the car or... One thing she did have was like a Christmas music playlist that she'd made so she could go to that on her phone and just add songs to the queue because I didn't have that playlist on my phone. CarPlay should add streaming video apps. So things like Netflix and Hulu and YouTube and all of that. Of course, those should only work when you're parked. But for an electric car, having those apps via CarPlay to like watch things while you charge would be super useful. This is something that Tesla has. The Mach-E has like a couple built in, but I've never actually tried to use them. My solution was just to take my iPad mini and like with the smart cover and like fold it over the center screen and just watch things that way. Yeah, you kind of think maybe, you know, the little like video sources menu or like the audio menu when you're you're Mm -hmm. in a player and you just tap it and it comes up with the options. And if you're near like HomePod speakers, they show up there. If you're near an Apple TV, it shows that you can airplay to it. Mm Kind of seems that they could just put like the car screen as one of the options there when you're connected to CarPlay. Oh, yeah. And so if you just go into an app and then you want to watch it, you can just click that. And then obviously it would just black out if you're driving. Uh, I don't really know why they haven't done that. Maybe it's something for next generation CarPlay. Who knows? But yeah. it's definitely like years ago, that wouldn't really have made any sense because not many people are sitting in their car long enough to watch something. But in the world of like charging an EV, like... There's a reason Tesla and I think Rivian's have a lot of streaming services built in. It's just another place that Apple should optimize CarPlay for EVs. Yeah, and you could, if you want to be crazy, you could have like the phone connected to the car be like the AirPlay receiver. Then anyone in the car could like choose what to, what plays on there, and they could yeah. just like AirPlay it to it. That would be that would be amazing. The only thing maybe is that like the frame rate of a CarPlay is maybe not quite i don't know i never quite sure with the carplay frame rate whether it's just like that's true my car or not my car but like my family's car or like the overall protocol it always seems a bit laggy i love carplay but you know if you're scrolling or you're tapping on things the animations are never like 100 percent perfect but presumably they're probably good enough to play like 25 fps video well or if it's not if it's carplay itself at least you think via like wired carplay it should be able to do something like yeah i don't know because like the maki like i said has a couple streaming services built in i should try them i guess to see how well they actually perform but if the screen itself is good enough then 
seems like something Apple could accomplish, but who knows? Yeah, this is kind of one of my like silent hopes for the next generation CarPlay. And obviously, in addition to the UI changes and the features, it's just like the frame rate's a bit higher. Because yeah. I feel like the CarPlay frame rate kind of runs at like 30 but obviously, it feels laggy compared to like a phone, which is a, you know, which is either like sixty or if you've got promotion, it's like one twenty. So, uh, especially if they've got the CarPlay driving the like the instrument cluster and stuff, it would be an extra bonus if they can just up the frame rate a little bit, so it doesn't feel quite as no, it's not laggy, but it doesn't feel like super smooth. When you're using wireless CarPlay too, there's still a slight lag, like when you hit the steering wheel controls to skip a song or to mm. pause. That's something else that they should address with next gen CarPlay. All in all, though, Road Trip went surprisingly well, and I think that's thanks a lot to the Apple Maps EV routing feature. Thanks a lot to the Mach-E and its tendency to actually get the range that it's rated for, unlike certain other electric cars. Oh, he's thrown out the Tesla shade in this episode. Well, we've made this drive like, oh, 2019, 2020, 2021. We made this drive a lot, and we've made it every time before this in the Model Y. And we'd always seem to to run into problems with like arrival charging percentages. So it would Tesla would tell us we'd arrive somewhere with like 12, 13%, and we'd arrive with like six or 7%, which is fine. You know, you get there, you don't have any, like you're not running out of charge. But over the course of a road trip, repeatedly, repeatedly arriving with less charge than you anticipated starts to add up and makes, means you have to charge longer and longer. So when we left on the drive back from Indiana to Texas, our ETA was like 9.41 or 9.30 p.m. We pulled in the driveway at like 9.45 p.m., which is so, so good for an 18-hour car ride. Yeah, that is good. To only lose 14 minutes across the entire day of charging and stopping to get food and dealing with the dogs, like that's really good. I was surprised. Yeah, my thread's like algorithm at the moment shows me Apple and Meta are not agreeing with each other, like those employees just having a go yeah. at each other. And it shows me people hating on Tesla. I'm not Tesla's biggest fan, but I don't know why this shows up on my For You page so often because I like can't really don't really care much about cars. But there's so much, especially over Christmas, there was so many things that were on threads on the on the For You um, timeline, which was just like, my car said it was going to get me 300 miles, it only got me 200 or whatever. And it's like, this manufacturer is more accurate. Blah, 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 blah. There was loads of that uh, going over Christmas. That might be because you follow me and we interact with each other because I was posting quite a bit about, about right, electric yeah, cars yeah, yeah. over Christmas. I, I did a full thread on threads about the first part of the road trip, which I'll put in the show notes. But yeah, all in all, great road trip. I'm. It was fun to test Apple Maps. It was also fun to test the Mach-E. Like, I had a great experience with Electrify America. I had a great experience using the Mach-E at a Tesla supercharger charging stop which you can do with um, something Tesla calls Magic Dock. It was cool finding a way to make 18 hours in the car fun. I know 18 hours for you is like drive across the country 12 times. but <laughs> Something like four times, but yeah. It's- you spend like four, five, six hours before you even get out of the state of Texas. Yeah, Texas is almost the entire size of our country. Almost. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Masterclass. So I generally cook the same meals, chicken, spaghetti, that kind of thing. But I figured why not try something different and try to get better at cooking for a change. And so now I'm actually learning how to make pasta dough and make ravioli from scratch with instructions from renowned chef Alice Waters. I'm not 100% 
great at it yet, but the learning and sense of accomplishment is so, so satisfying. I'm getting there. And how exactly? Well, using Alice Waters' home cooking lessons on Masterclass. Check them out at masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. This year, you can learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. With over 180 world-class instructors to choose from, you can always be learning something new, like mastering negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or learn the art of filmmaking with from Killism for the Flower Moon director, Martin Scorsese. Learn anywhere in bite-sized chunks with the Masterclass app available on your phone, computer, tablet, TV, and there's even an audio mode so you can listen on the go. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best, and with an annual membership, it's all available for just $10 a month. There's over 200 classes to pick from with new classes each month, like Alice Waters teaching, the art of home cooking that I mentioned. That has helped me get more confident making meals in the kitchen. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 50% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. That's masterclass.com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring the show. Mayo, you had your own sort of holiday getaway. You have some observations you want to share? Yeah, so I went on holiday with my mom, just up to see some family up north. Um, we did use CarPlay, uh, but not we don't have an EV or anything, so it's the same CarPlay experience we had for a while. Still big thumbs up. The The CarPlay share play for Apple Music thing did pop up on my phone's lock screen mum's mum's car was was driving it and she, but she we were listening to radio the whole time so i didn't actually get a chance to try out the apple music thing but it did pop up and i was like oh yeah that feature's available now because uh, obviously i've had it on the beta for a while but 17.2 mm-hmm. only just came out really for you know the wider public um what i will say based on uh chatting to some family and stuff over christmas uh, i first got to see a space black MacBook pro in person for the first time oh yeah the color is nice very nice better than space gray on my mabber pro but they could definitely go darker right it's not black it is dark gray it's a cool dark gray but it's not quite the elusive black MacBook pro uh, mm-hmm. that maybe the name <laughs> maybe the name belies <laughs> i think midnight is probably a better color like you know space gray's at the bottom then the space black and then the midnight uh, but i do wonder whether the anti fingerprint coating that the space but Pro touts is that dependent on the fact that it is not actually like straight black like is midnight get so many fingerprints because it is really really dark or is there a future where maybe they could do a midnight-esque color or like a similar dark shade that also has the fingerprint resistance because that'd be fantastic but maybe they went to the space black gray kind of color because it's like a middle ground where it is darker but also it can hide fingerprints i'm not really sure how they're like coating yeah. or whatever their treatment their material treatment actually works i mean I, now that i've had the space black macbook pro for a couple months now it really the anodization seal thing really does help like in comparison to my previous midnight macbook air i've really only had to like quote unquote deep clean this computer like once it really does actually help which i was surprised about and then the other thing that came up a few times in conversation with some, some family and friends was the name drop feature People were triggering it accidentally and not realizing what it was. This is especially true for the Apple Watch. So if you hold like an iPhone near the watch or like your own phone near the watch, it comes up with this like animation, which 
tries to tell you what's going on by like showing you an icon of like two watches coming together or a watch and a phone coming together but it doesn't really have any text or like do anything so a couple of people came up to me and they're like well what what, what does this mean exactly because <laughs> i think what's <laughs> happening is people are like resting their own phone in their hand and then bringing it near their watch without noticing and then the watch activates and tries to start name drop but because it's your own device it doesn't actually do anything so they keep getting this animation pop up and i'm not really having a clue what it means like what does this yeah. symbol actually mean and so maybe that's something where apple could change it or just add like some text or like maybe just don't bother popping up the animation if it's your same device i don't know like it just felt there was it, it happened like two or three times i was like well this is actually affecting people so i thought i'd flag up here to here if anybody else has had uh, this same experience i've had it pop up for me as well but obviously i knew what it was but it seems like you know general folk just don't really get what what's going on here and, and even when I explained it to them, it wasn't like, oh, it's yeah. happening. It was like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> you know, like people just aren't aware that it's the, the, the name drop, you know, like tapping the phone together to do uh, airplay, to do share sheet kind of things is even possible. So should we dive into the Apple Watch saga? Oh, we it's left bad, off, right? Uh, <laughs> briefly. <laughs> br- briefly. So we left off, it was December 21st, I think, and the Apple Watch was hours away from being removed from the online store. And that happened pretty much right after we finished recording. At the end of the day, Apple pulled the Series 9 and the Ultra 2 from Apple.com. One of Apple's hopes at the time was that the Biden administration would step in and veto the ITC's decision. The ITC, of course, had found that Apple infringed on two Massimo patents around the blood oxygen sensor. The Biden administration chose not to do anything. So on December 26th, the Apple Watch was pulled from Apple stores as well. Then the U.S. appeals court came in and granted Apple's appeal for a pause on the ban while it awaits a decision from the United States Customs and Border Protection Service. So basically, Apple has submitted a redesigned Series 9 and Ultra 2, which is basically just a software change to U.S. Customs. U.S. Customs is the agency that makes the decision on whether or not the software change to the blood oxygen sensor that Apple has made is enough to circumvent the Massimo patents. So this decision is expected on January 12th. The appeals court also gave the ITC until January 10th to respond to Apple's request to pause the Apple Watch ban through the entire appeals process. Then other parties involved in the case, like Apple and Massimo, have until January 15th to submit their support of or opposition to their ITC's ruling. So that's all very, very confusing. But I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like there are a couple different outcomes here. U.S. Customs can say that, yes, the software change Apple has made is enough to circumvent the Massimo patents and everything returns to normal. Or... If U.S. Customs rules against Apple, the Series 9 and Ultra 2 get removed from sale again on January 12th, then they could or could not come back on January 15th, (laughs) where... Depending on the different uh, review. Right. So the ruling we're expecting on January 15th... Well, first of all, I guess the January 15th ruling is completely irrelevant if U.S. Customs rules in Apple's favor on January 12th. Which is But on January 15th, Yeah. yeah... And on January 15th, what Apple's hoping for is just that the U.S. appeals court puts the ban on pause while it goes through the entire overarching appeals process to the ITC. 
So that's still not a solution. Apple's still technically infringing on Massimo patents. They'll just be able to sell the watches while that process plays out in court. Yeah, and you can probably imagine that even if the US Customs approve the software update that changes the way that the blood oxygen sensor works implementation-wise uh, to, in Apple's opinion, avoid the patent infringement, I imagine that Massimo can then file to be like, well, no, actually, we think it still infringes for this, this, and this reason, and then everything will carry right. on. Um, so it's a complicated process, but I believe Apple's probably hoping that the software fix will basically bring it back permanently because right now it's you know it's temporarily reavailable. We'll continue it to be available post-January 12th, and then the January 15th decision is whether any future ongoing dispute will cause it to go off sale again if if presumably massimo will fight uh even if the u.s customs approve it oh yeah i mean massimo's already said that a software change is not enough to satisfy its demands and it expects a hardware change or presumably just apple to settle and pay them a bunch of money and pay them a licensing fee and then the other route is the customs still reject it right and yep apple is hoping the itc will uh the appeals court will stay the itc's ban and through the whole appeal right and maybe in between somewhere there if that happens they might also do a software update that disables the feature entirely because the first software update is an attempt to make all functionality keep working right so customers can buy watches with blood oxygen sensors functional Uh, but if that fails they've still got an option to do it just removing it altogether whether that's in software or even in hardware if they really had to right they could just get rid of the sensor um but Apple's going to try and not have that happen. This sounds like a complete logistical nightmare for Apple. I don't know how much cat and mouse they're willing to play here. Do you think that they're... How likely is it do you think that they're just going to end up settling? Um, Maybe. I think they might as well do this current process and see what happens, right? Like, <laughs> they, 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 they sold watches up until December 21st online. They sold watches in retail right up until Christmas. The day after Christmas, they got to put them back again. So (laughs) disruption was relatively minimal so far, right? Like it's annoying and logistical complexities of taking stuff down, bringing it back, you know, changing the website, blah, 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 blah. And they prefer not to do any of it. But, you know, Apple's a big company. They got lots of people. They can manage that kind of thing. They're good at supply chain stuff. So they're, they're, they're hoping that that burden won't obviously persist forever. Uh, but I don't think the pressure to settle really happens unless, say, like, the customs deny the software update and then the appeals court deny uh, staying it through the whole appeal, right? Because, like, uh, the full appeal process could take years. So uh, they're not going to be able to stand and not sell watches for that period of time. So yeah. maybe after that, if like if, if, they get a fa- if they get a fail twice by January 15th, that kind of thing, then maybe there's a settlement to be made, but... The problem is when they, if they do get a double rejection, that just increases Massimo's leverage. So then they want even more money for the for the settlement package, right? So uh, it's an interesting situation. I kind of think that a long term fix without the w- would not be a settlement. It would just be to like disable the sensor altogether. Like, and I know that's a unpopular thing to say, but the blood oxygen sensor is not the most critical part of the watch. I'm sorry, it's just not. Like, yeah. People don't buy it for that. It's nice that it's there. It has helped some people, you know, with 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 stuff. And obviously, Apple will keep using that as their PR line. Like, you know, the the blood oxygen sensor helps save lives. Blah, blah 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 blah. But practically speaking, Apple could sell 
99.9% of the same number of watches that it sells now, even if it didn't have the blood oxygen sensor there. It just doesn't do very much. Uh, and it's not even the, the most recently introduced feature, right? The most introduced, the most recent thing was the temperature sensor. Yeah. Um, the, the blood oxygen sensor is a few years old, which I think a very common pattern is people get a new watch, they open the blood oxygen sensor at once, it says they're okay, and then they never touch it again. And yeah, it does do passive measurements in the background, but the vast majority of people do not have an issue, so they never notice about it or care about it ever again. Um, obviously, there are some people where it, it alerts them and they go and get help, and that's great, but Apple's a business at the end of the day, and I think they would rather sell watches than not sell watches, and if it came down to it, if they can't get a settlement price that they're happy with, just disable the sensor for a while, and I think everything would be okay. That's still where my position really is. But right now, they're just holding out until... They're just doing every legal trick they can to get, you know, the temporary stay, possibly a longer stay, possibly a full um, pause until the appeals court is over. I mean, they probably seem pretty confident that the software update will fix, will be a, a decent solution. Uh, but of course, Massimo's not going to be happy with that. Uh, but so far, they've really only had, what, three days of sales missing online, one day of sales missing in retail. Yeah. It was December 21st they went away and December 28th they came back, I think, online. But yeah, in-store, because it fell on Christmas, it was basically like 24, 36 hours. And obviously all watches are still in stock on third-party retailers as well. Yeah. So, And I have seen some people say that what Apple's doing right now is probably increasing the quote-unquote channel inventory for third parties like Amazon and Best Buy. So if Apple has to stop selling via its online store and its retail stores, it knows that Best Buy and Amazon and everybody has quite a bit of inventory available. So there's never a day where you can't buy a new watch. Yeah. I think Apple's got a few more weeks in them of watches not being on sale at all before they're really forced to do something drastic, you know? Emily's mom got a Series 9 for Christmas and she got it from her husband, Emily's dad. And he kept saying, you know, now you can tap your fingers together to answer her end a phone call. <laughs> she was like, cool. And she didn't seem that impressed by it. A few hours later, have you tried tapping to, to start or stop a phone call? Just two fingers, you know? She was like, no, I haven't tried it yet. It's fine. <laughs> Clearly, he had seen some commercial about double tap or something. And he, he was like, me. He's, he's, he's on the yeah. hype train. Yeah. And he was like very fixated on double tap. And I'm willing to bet that she never uses it maybe uses it once or twice just to appease him it's definitely a like i do use it but like i don't really expect most people would use it probably because it's, it's something you kind of have to train your brain to do right like right yeah there are lots of shortcuts and, and you know quick things and and gestures you can do on phones watches ipads and stuff that most normal people never touch right like they it just doesn't fall into their headspace to care about so you really have to go out of your way to be like oh there's a timer here i'm just going to click my things together because what hap what what normal people do is they'll be like oh uh i could have theoretically double tap my things together to stop the timer but i just use my hand to yeah. go into my pocket and get my phone or i just put my thing the thing that's in my hand on the floor temporarily and press the button like there's a whole amount of training you have to do to ingrain like a double tap gesture into someone's head and you know, Apple's certainly trying. Every commercial they have for the Series 9 just shows people double tapping <laughs> stuff. And, and what if else you is can get it in your, Yeah, exactly, exactly. What else is the show? But if you can get it into your headspace and your like, rhythm, it does come in useful. Uh, but it's definitely an uphill battle for them. 
Happy Hour this week is also sponsored by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Everyone loves to treat themselves, whether it's buying extra legroom on a plane or going to that fancy coffee place rather than making it at home. And just like you don't want to compromise on treats, you don't want to settle when finding a doctor. It is your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle. Go for the best and find the doctor right for you. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 72 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. You can even nab same-day appointments. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I needed this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. Speaking of the Apple Watch, another rumor now says that the next generation Apple Watch X, Apple Watch 10 that we've been talking about, will completely redesign the band connection system. So Bloomberg was first to report on Apple's Apple Watch X plans a few months ago. And they said that Apple was exploring a change to how bands are attached to the Apple Watch. Bloomberg said that... The system right now takes up a lot of size inside the watch, and Apple believes that that space could be better utilized by things like a bigger battery or other components. Now, you know the account on Twitter, Kasutami? They shared some details about like the fine woven cases ahead of time and a few other Apple accessory stories over the years. And now they also say that the Apple Watch X will use a new band system that means all of your existing bands won't work if you upgrade to the Apple Watch X. It's been, what, almost 10 years. I can't say I'm surprised by this. Yeah, and Apple never promised that the bands would keep working. They just no. did. They even went out of their way to ensure compatibility between, like, when they went from, what was it, 4038 to 44, 41, 45, 42. All of the different form factor changes over the years. And the fact that you can use non- Apple Watch Ultra bands with the Apple Watch Ultra. They've done more than I think anybody would have expected them to do. Yeah. Part of that, the why that's been possible, though, is the fact that they haven't changed the design of the Apple Watch too much. Right? That is like, also true. It's the same rough design. The bands mostly matter about the width remaining the same, right? Because you just mentioned all the different sizes, but that's all to do with height, right? Like, the width of the watches hasn't changed too much. And so the bands have mostly remained the same just with those two tier sizes and the apple watch takes the higher tier size right or at least it's compatible with the higher tier size um the apple watch ultra uh, so with the apple watch x everyone's now kind of anticipating a big design change and if that happens then you can see why they were going to have to change bands like it would infuriate people if apple broke band compatibility for no reason i.e they could have just carried on using the same band style but as long as the watch looks significantly different, I think people will acquiesce and be perfectly content with the fact that, look, 
this is a completely different form factor of watch. Therefore, the bands aren't the same. Go out and buy some new ones. And I'm kind of excited in the sense that I'm I'm looking forward to the Apple Watch getting a bigger shake-up in terms of how it looks and, and things. Like, I don't mind how it looks now, but it has been the same for a long, long time. And yeah, obviously the screen bezels changed, but the last big change was like the Series 4, and even that had a lot of DNA shared with the original. They just kind of made it more round rather than boxier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the last like Series 7, Series 8 thing, they just kind of shrunk the bezels a bit more, made it wrap over the sides. Like, it has changed design, but it hasn't been like, radical and so i think it'd be cool if now there's a time for them to do something more dramatic and if maybe it's like you know making the watch really really thin or you know making it flat-sided more like the phones are these days and you can imagine that the band attachment situation will probably have to change to to support that there's been a lot of talk about it going to more of a magnetic attachment system whereas right now it's just like clips that you like clip into and if you look at the side of your watch like it kind of sounds silly when it's like the watch it takes up a lot of internal space but if you actually add up the total amount of space that the bands use the band clips use it is quite a lot because it goes in quite deep on mm-hmm. both sides and then also internally they have to have space for the clips right so you know it's probably what like 10% of the overall space of the of the Apple Watch is just taken up by the band attachments and if they can reduce that to 5% they can shove in more components more battery all, all the rest or if they can make the whole thing 5% thinner then it trades off uh, the other way around, right? So, like, as long as the watch does look different, I think people will be happy enough that the band changes, uh, the, that their bands are incompatible. If literally the Apple Watch X still looks like the same Apple Watch it does now, everyone would be mad, right? But I don't think that's what's happening here. They're changing the band connector because the whole watch is changing form factor or as much as it can do for something which is, you know, yeah. a rectangle in your wrist with the screen. So if the expectation is that the new system is going to be something based on magnets, I, that worries me a little bit. I don't know if I like the current locking system of the Apple Watch bands feels so so secure almost to like a fault where you have people who get their bands stuck inside. Magnets on the other hand for a watch that's on your wrist and you're flinging it around. What do you feel how do you feel about that? Definitely question marks, but you know, like how the Vision Pro has a magnetic attachment for the battery, but it's really like locking because you have to like twist it. Maybe yeah. there's something there for this too, where like it magnetically attaches to something on the outside, but you have to like push it in and it like clicks into place or something. Like, I don't, obviously, I don't know what the new system will look like, but yeah. there's ways of having magnetic attachments that aren't just magnets like it's magnetic assisted so maybe it like snaps onto the side but then you have to like push it into like make it tight or something because to be fair it's kind of annoying to switch bands right now because you have to like that hold down true. that tiny yeah. little button with your fingernail and then like drag them out the side like they could make that more elegant too and you can imagine maybe there's just like one button that releases the latch and then you just pop off the magnet or something but yeah this we'll see we still don't know for sure whether the Apple Watch X is like a 2024 thing or a 2025 thing, really? Like, it's not 100% certain. Yeah, this rumor kind of made it seem like it was a 2024 thing, but yeah. I don't know. It might also be for just like the Apple Watch Ultra, might get it first yeah. only, like only one size, or, you know, maybe it's only the 45 millimeter, not the 41. Like, there's a lot of uncertainty still, but the rumor mill definitely indicates t- or points towards a redesign coming, but exactly when and exactly what. Um, depiction or portrayal is still a bit unclear. So are you? I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep asking you this. <laughs> you, you don't. You don't give up on this question. Still, still enjoying that series nine. 
Um, look, I upgraded from a Series 4. I'm happy. Okay. We'll see what I feel like once we know for sure what the Apple Watch X will be like. I'm still kind of on the train that I don't anticipate that the small watch size will be getting the big redesign this year. Yeah, we'll I think you're probably right about that. But... Like the, the 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 Apple Watch X could be the most amazing watch ever created, but if it's not small, I'm not going to buy it because my hands can't support it. So, uh, and everything keeps they kind of keep talking about it like it might be coming to like the Apple Watch Ultra first. You know, like those rumors that they were going to do the mm-hmm. um, micro LED displays change, you know, panel changes and oh, stuff. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that kind of sounds like that would tie into a hardware redesign, which is going to be Ultra first. So. Look, if it comes out this fall and it's like a really nice redesign, it's available in 41mm, I'll just say, well, I'm getting that one. You know, I, my bet didn't work out. But so far, I went five years between watches and I was happy. So we could easily go two, three, four, depending on what happens. The New York Times reports that Apple is putting its money where its mouth is when it comes to AI and its large language model technology. So the New York Times says that Apple has contacted a handful of different publishers and offered multi-year deals in which Apple would pay each of them at least $50 million to license their archives of news articles. The idea being that Apple could then use those archives of articles to train its own AI models. I think this is a great thing. It's a very stark contrast to like OpenAI, who is taking the approach of doing whatever it wants, then asking for forgiveness later. We just saw the New York Times sued OpenAI for using its articles to train its its ChatGPT models, basically. Yeah. And Apple's taking the opposite approach of asking for permission, paying the publishers, then using the articles to train the, the timing here was a bit convenient. I'm sure this yeah. might just be like a coincidence, but like the MIT reports that Apple's, uh, you know, coming to them with $50 million offers to use their content for AI. And then like the next week, the MIT's suing OpenAI for paying them nothing. I was like, there was a bit of uh, good fortune there on, on, on the newspaper's part. But this does kind of sound like something more Apple would be doing because oh, they're very like, you know, copyright aware and cautious and, them just doing the like you know move fast and break things model isn't really their style that being said they are already testing using a google uh, ai model that was inevitably trained on the exact same data the open ai one was so yeah i don't know where the line is drawn like what is specifically apple negotiating for here in terms of rights uh but i guess it's an approach it's at least a you know holding out the olive of the olive branch of friendliness you know rather than just ingesting everything and spitting it back out into some neural network but is 50 million enough is it like you're just getting 50 million what you're getting 50 million once for the entire archive of your entire newspaper and then apple can regurgitate your newspaper content in any way it wants forevermore like there's a lot of question marks and that's one of the things that new york times story says it says that Apple was vague about how it intended to use generative AI in the news industry and how broad the terms of the apparent $50 million deal were. Because $50 million to the New York Times is not very much money. Like, no. You don't need too many um, New York Times subscriptions to go to the wayside to offset the cost of $50 million, right? Like, it's, it's, 
it's hard. No one really has the answer to this at the moment. It's a very present question in the AI space. Like, how should rights be arranged? Who should get paid? Should anyone get paid? Is it fair use? Is it open source? Like, can can you just ingest the web for free and get away with it? Like, huge legal questions that are unprecedented and no one really knows the answer to. Uh, and the New York Times article here is vague enough that we don't really know what Apple was particularly, like, negotiating for. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, at least interesting, and at least shows Apple's commitment to doing stuff in this space, right? Because Apple doesn't spend $50 million for the fun of it. Part of it, too, is it's like, is the solution to this... This is like a, a bigger picture question. Is the solution to this problem really each company, Apple, Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, whoever, making special deals with individual publishers? Like, they're going to approach each publisher directly and say, here's $50 million, here's $50 million. Clearly, the at least in my opinion, this current system like that OpenAI is doing where it basically uses everything to train its models and then doesn't really compensate the sources or anything like that. I think what Apple's doing is better than that, but there's still got to be a more universal practical solution to ensure that people who create a lot of the content on which these models are being trained are compensated for their work. Yeah, the problem is like ChatGPT, you know, rarely just like straight plagiarizes, i.e. takes like paragraphs and just repeats them verbatim, right? Like, yeah, there is like an interpretation, which is kind of what a human does, right? Like we read, you know, we can read Condé Nast and Vogue and the New Yorker, the New York Times, and then we can come up with our own article that doesn't actually source or compensate any of the stuff we read, but is somewhat based on stuff we've read before, because that's how like the brain's learning works you know like that's kind of the open a argument which is just like this stuff's here we're not directly ripping you off it's just kind of used to improve the intelligence but then you know we're obviously making loads of money off the intelligence system so it's a it's a really big open question the thing that i maybe if, if you want to like read between the lines of what apple is actually negotiating here for maybe is like a a feature of like siri where it's like it's looking up for like you ask it a question it gives you some answers right and so maybe they've been like, well, look, to make this feature work, we obviously need data sources of knowledge. And one way we can get authoritative results is from newspapers and magazines like the New York Times, historical archives. So if somebody asks about COVID of 2020 and the AI can match it up with that, it can then pull some snippet out of the archive that relates to a newspaper article from 2020, right? And maybe that's where this 50 million comes from. But uh, there's... That doesn't solve it. Yeah. It solves like 1% of the overall issue, right? Because obviously all these AI models keep evolving. They have to ingest new data over time. They have to, you know, they take on what the person says and integrate it with what other with what, what's said elsewhere. What happens if you ask an AI to like in you know summarize an article, right? Like if the article is from the New York Times, can you only summarize it if you've already paid them 50 million beforehand? Do you know what I mean? Like there's so many yeah, questions yeah. here that like are completely unresolvable. And then a lot of the AI stuff is like nowadays you can like ask it a question and it goes, well, I don't know directly based on the, you know, billion words I was trained on, but I know enough to say like, do a Google search here and get you the answer and then interpret the, the result of the web page. That's just kind of a feature people expect, Right. Apple will not be competitive if they don't offer something along those lines, but that's not really plausible if they're only going to work on a knowledge base of 
companies and publishers they, they've given them money to up front. So this can only be a very small slice of a big conversation. There's also the Wikipedia question, right? Because like Wikipedia is open source and free, but so many of these AIs get so much of their knowledge based on Wikipedia content and don't pay back anything to Wikipedia, which feels kind of sucky too. A lot of these publishers too have very, they don't have many reasons to trust the likes of Apple and Google and whoever is in this ballgame. I don't foresee a world in which they're willing to just put their hands up and not fight against this. Okay, philosophically, I'll ask you one more question on this matter because this is a huge topic. But So let's say you've ingested all this text from the New York Times, right? And then you ask the AI about like, what what um you know what's on my calendar the ai large language model has been trained on content from the new york times but your question and your answer is not based on anything the new york times knows about right is compensation due there or not like it's a really hard line to kind of draw say that again what? so like like say you got chat gpt right which obviously right. is ingested any content it can ever find from anyone but you ask it, a, you, 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 I'm thinking of like the AI pin, right? Like the humane thing, right? It can summarize your emails. Yeah. So its summary of your emails is mostly based off the content of the email inbox. But obviously its ability to form a sentence is based off its understanding of English, yeah. which it's got mm-hmm. from the entire content of the web. Should OpenAI pay the New York Times just because some of its text came from the New York Times to answer a question about your email inbox. Like, is that fair? I don't know. Like, you could... Because you... I could employ you to summarize my emails for me. Yeah, and your understanding of true. English is based off everything you've ever read for your entire existence. But you're not going to go and pay everybody that you've ever... Every website you've ever read. <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a hard... It's a hard thing. It's more... It's more clear cut when you're asking about, like a news topic which is obviously coming from news sources right like then yeah. it's like well here's the sources if you're just asking like vague conceptual questions or you're bringing your calendar to it and it's asking you to be a virtual a personal assistant for you then it's more it's all very gray yeah the argument around like the news information itself is clearer and you could envision like a world where they only train on news stories from the people they pay and again, that goes back to my problem of going to each individual publisher and doing backdoor deals. But the overarching problems, I have, I have no idea what the answer is. Yeah, it's, I don't think these companies do either. Like, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why Apple is behind or allegedly behind. OpenAI, looking from the outside, they just kind of moved really quickly, broke some things, stole some data. And made a good product at the end of the day. Yeah. Things that Apple yeah. wouldn't do. And also they frankly couldn't get away with it. I don't think OpenAI will get away with it in the long run. Something's going to change. And I am. I was happy to see this New York Times story about Apple taking taking this approach of actually getting getting the rights and paying for what they want to use. Yeah. They're at least trying to be slightly more legit about it, I think. But really, this is all going to come down to some like Supreme Court ruling on copyright, right? That somehow yep. determines the future of AI modeling. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Collide. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. 
The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But users' devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. And that means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off, for instance, and it hasn't been updated in months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Clyde finally solves the device trust problem. Clyde ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Clyde on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every bring-your-own-device phone and laptop in your company. Collide simply ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your sensitive business apps. So visit collide.com slash happy hour to watch a demo and see how it works. That's spelled K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash happy hour. Collide.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. Some sad news this week. Apple Infinite Loop, the retail store, is permanently closing in just a couple of weeks. So the Infinite Loop campus itself is fine and staying intact, obviously, but this is the retail location at Apple's Infinite Loop campus. Did you ever go there? I guess you did because you've been to events, right? I went for the first time in June at WWDC. Oh, literally, okay, so this year was your first ever time going. And it was cool. I mean, it. I don't know. It's a very small store. Yeah. It was a little bit underwhelming. The best part, of course, is like they sell like merch, like T-shirts. And I got some T-shirts. I got a water bottle, got a mug. I think I got a notebook or something that cost like $60. Incredibly good value uh, yeah. merchandise as well, right? Uh, not, no massive profit margins at all. I also, we were, it was at WWDC, so I was recording. That's a joke, by the way. I, yeah, I, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting there. I, it was at WWDC, so we were recording... 9 to 5 Mac daily at the podcast studio and we needed I needed a hard drive that you so they could record and put your files onto it and you could take it and edit it right after you were done. So I thought oh I'm just going to grab this hard drive off the shelf. Grabbed it, checked out, had some t-shirts, my mug, my water bottle, all that. Handed over my card and the Apple Store employees said, "Oh, the total comes to like $550." <laughs> I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, what? And she was like, yeah, the hard drive was like 150 and then all the other stuff you got, you know, T-shirts are 50, 50 bucks a pop. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, got some very expensive merch. But it, hey, now that it's closing, maybe it's going to increase in value. Infinite Loop merch is now my retirement account. It's my <laughs> appreciating assets. So do, do they sell the same merch at the no. Visitor Park Center or they don't? It's different, different shirts. And the Infinite Loop Store, if I'm remembering correctly, has more stuff. Like, I don't think at Apple Park Visitor Center they have, like, water bottles and mugs and notebooks and stuff. I think at the Visitor Center it's just shirts and maybe tote bags, I want to say. And Ted Lasso, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, so maybe if they're closing the sto- the Infinite Loop Store, they'll just, like, the Visitor's Park Center will now start selling the mugs and stuff. The number of people who go to these places just to buy the merch is not small. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is an attraction for people. Like, if you're in the air, like, no offense, but if you're in Cupertino, you're probably missing a trick if you don't go to the Apple Park Visitor Center because yeah. it's not like there's loads of other things in Cupertino to go and see. There's approximately nothing in Cupertino. Yeah, exactly. I went to the Infinite Loop store once, but it was back in 
2015. So it was kind of in the mm. limbo before the Apple yeah. Park store was ready. And the Infinite Loop store was doing like refurbishment. They were like redesigning it a bit. Because it, it, before, I think it was 2015 where they, before it was, before 2015, they pretty much just sold like merch and stuff. Yes. And in 2015, they refurbished it to turn it into almost a full Apple store. Like it still doesn't have a Genius Bar, but you can buy Apple products there in addition to merch. Yeah, they had IMAX out and stuff. Yeah. You must have rent right in the middle of that. Yeah, it was like it was like in the switchover. The Infinite Loop store is not particularly impressive. You know, you said it's kind of small, right? Like it's kind mm-hmm. of dingy. It's like it's not. At least when I was there in 2015, yeah, it wasn't I mean, like it, you know. You it's more impressive going to one of the redesigned Apple stores around the world, right? Like the London ones or the the one that floats on the sea and you know San Marino Bay or whatever in Singapore. Like those are way cooler and way more modern. Uh, the Infinite Loop store was a bit... It just had that feeling of being a bit old. So I'm not really surprised. I'm kind of surprised it lasted this long uh, before they got rid of it because it does feel a bit redundant when you've got the much more impressive like Apple Park Visitor Center uh, a couple of miles away. And also randomly, Apple says that its Royal Hawaiian retail store in Honolulu will also close this month. Both the, the, both the Infinite Loop and the Hawaiian store are closing on January 20th. R.I.P. R.I.P. For something that's hopefully good news, maybe happening this month, Vision Pro, a... How do you want to explain this? It's a very, 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 very sketchy rumor from an investing service in China who says January 27th launch date for Vision Pro. Yeah, Quo said February. He said mass, mass production underway, early February launch. The January 27th launch date, that's a Saturday which is pretty weird in and of itself. One of the reasons I've seen some people say is January 27th in China could be January 26th in the United States, Mm. I think is the explanation. I don't know. I wouldn't put too much stock into this particular date. The last time Apple launched like a major product on a Saturday was the original iPad, and that was 2010. So, you know, that's 14 years ago. (laughs) So they don't like launching stuff on Saturday for obvious reasons. And the the original iPad launch was kind of weird because it was actually late. Like it was it was unveiled on like a late January of um, keynote, and at the time, uh, Jobs said it would launch within sixty days, i.e., before the end of March. And it actually missed that by oh, like yeah. a week or so because it came out on the third of April, um, which was a Saturday. And then that was only for the Wi-Fi models. The cellular models didn't launch until like May. Uh, so it was it was kind of late, uh, which is kind of un- unusual. Um, but there you go. In this case, I kind of still think February is kind of probably when it's going to come out. Like, yeah, maybe it happens that January twenty sixth is when you can like pre order it, you know, or like you can order it in store and then it ships in February. Or you can like order it online and it ships in February. Uh, it kind of feels a bit premature to launch at the end of January. Unless, I mean, if that's going to happen, they would literally have to announce the date like next week, I think. So this might just be one of those sketchy Chinese things that doesn't come to pass. Sometimes you have a sketchy Chinese blog thing that is real and legit, and other times it's just uh, made up. I've kind of leaned towards it's not going to come out on January the 27th. No. But I think a announcement of the actual date is very, very possible for this month. And maybe even pre-orders for this month with a shipping in like mid-February or something. 
And there's also the question of whether or not Apple's going to do any sort of event or how exactly they're going to launch this thing short of just a press release. Yeah, Mark Gurman was kind of implying that they're not going to do another event before launch, which obviously be unlike the Apple Watch, right, where they had the unveiling in September, then the second event in March, and it came out in April. Uh, this obviously was unveiled at WWC, which was quite a long time ago because that was June, right? Um, yeah. And then apparently it's going to launch, let's say February, because Gurman's pretty certain it's before March, and he doesn't seem to think January, so seems like February is a pretty good guess. Uh, yeah. But doesn't seem to suggest they're going to hold in like a late January event or anything. But, I mean, modern Apple can just shove a load of videos on the website. They can do an event, a non-event right thing where they just put videos on the YouTube channel where they can present it. They can give demonstrations. And I don't think it's the most um, inappropriate release thing because, A, it's a niche product. It's very expensive. They're not going to make many of them. Holding a full keynote for a product that is only going to sell maximum 500,000 in the first calendar year might be setting themselves up for disappointment rather than you know underplaying it for a success if you see what i mean uh it's we still don't really have any clear indication on like consumer content availability like how much is really going to be there on day one and so how much does apple really want to like hold up the fanfare like 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 do they really want to bring press all the way to a campus where they can tell them well, when it's coming out and do another demo of it like the thing is with like the press angle of it is people who are getting review units of vision pro hopefully me or hopefully somebody at nine to five mac but apple's probably gonna want to like yeah they'll give you briefings when they distribute those units in person do the sizing yeah. make sure everything is absolutely perfect because the last thing they want is like the verge saying it didn't fit right on my head i couldn't figure out how to make it comfortable and the problem actually just being like it wasn't sized properly it's there's so many moving parts to this and i can't it's such a big undertaking and there's still so many unknowns one of the biggest of course being that it's us only at launch we don't know anything about international other than later this year yeah yeah so there's definitely there's definitely cause for it not having a big fanfare launch uh I think and somewhat appropriate for the kind of product market fit that it has. I do think it's still kind of weird they're not going to have another event for it, but the definition of event is so so different nowadays too. Though, yeah, like, that's another who knows. factor. They could very easily do a like, here's a big video of the Vision Pro. We're going to give you some more demos of it. Here's some app examples. Here's some like content announcement we got for it, and it's shipping. Blur, but that it that quote-unquote event isn't by like inviting people to watch a stream at a certain time it's just here's the press release and it's got a massive video yeah. on top of it which they did for the m2 um ipad launches right the m2 pro ipads uh which was when was that last january last yeah. january yes yeah last january um so they had a press release and then you could go on the youtube channel and they have like a 20 minute video which is basically a section of a keynote but it was just on the youtube channel uh, without like a you know live stream date or anything like or any other fanfare that's kind of where i think the vision pro will end up at least for the first release then they'll talk about it more whenever they have a spring event or at wwc or something uh but right now they're going to ship it out of the door it's going to be it's going to be in limited quantities and it's going to be out of stock almost 100 percent, just because they're not going to make too many of them and yeah 
even though it is really expensive product, it's still got a lot of hype around it. And a lot of early adopters and Apple people will, will want to buy in. Um, no no shade there at all. I think it's cool. It's a cool product. Uh, but it's not going to sell in millions. We know that already. It's maximum going to be about 500000 for 2024. I'm having a hard time containing my excitement for it. You get in the, you're on the you're on the hype train. I think every time you know there's a story that's like oh it's launching soon like it's launching soon I'm like okay you're like yeah it's happening, and I think back to the demo I got at WWDC and I watched some clips on YouTube of the original announcement, and it's one of those things where I know I'm not going to use it as much as I'm telling myself right now probably, but at the same time to be it's cool it is cool yeah it's to. And to witness the launch of like Apple's first big new product category, yeah. Like honestly, I what do you do? You think this is the biggest since the iPhone? Probably. It depends how you categorize it, right? Because like the iPad was pretty big, especially in the early years. I'd probably say biggest since the iPad. The watch is great, but it kind of aligns more as an accessory product rather than standalone. The iPad was just a bigger version of the iPhone, though, especially at launch. It was, but it's. It was it was really impactful, like on the market. Yeah, like, I guess it was really popular. It was like the most successful consumer product ever, beating the iPhone. You know, in the in, in compared to its first few years. So like, it was just a big iPhone to use to use the meme, yeah. but like it was kind of a, a phenomenon. The Vision Pro, as cool as it is, it's not going to be an iPad size phenomenon. It's just not going to. I guess the in terms of the technology. The Vision Pro is probably the most impressive new technology we've seen from Apple since the iPhone. Yeah, yeah in terms I'd agree of with that. consumer, in terms of consumer like consumer interest or demand or whatever. It's definitely their most like state of the art technology product yes, they've made. Yeah. Almost for... like to the point of like a proof of concept, like a concept car or something. Yeah, because like the iPad was a bigger iPhone and the watch was like a smaller iPhone. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> the same kind of thing, just in a slightly different form factors. Uh the Vision Pro is pretty different. And does stand alone. But it does cost three and a half grand. <laughs> and even if it didn't cost three and a half yeah. grand, the appeal of the product is still questionable to me. Like, the price is really easy to attack. But even if you just look at the product and it was like 1500 which is like the same price as the MetaQuest Pro, right? The market for VR headsets is still unknown. Like, it's not a surefire smash hit, I don't think. It's unclear and maybe over time five years ten years that it will be able the technology will catch up and the you know consumers will catch up and the environment and the content space around it will be there but right now 2024 it's it's dipping the waters it's dipping their toes in right and the biggest the biggest sign of that is the fact it's called the apple vision pro not the apple vision yeah right they haven't even got their full product lineup here this is just step one of a long process, which makes it different to the iPad or the Apple Watch or the iPhone, right? Because those were mass consumer products from the get-go. This isn't. All right. I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating and a review and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. Send us feedback, happy hour at 9to5mac.com. I am on Threads, Twitter, and Mastodon at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? Threads, Twitter, BZA Mayo. Ooh, okay. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.